Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Ali Bonner of Oat House, the world's first spreadable granola. Recovering from a developed eating disorder, Ali went on to create Oat House to provide a delicious yet nut-free spread. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Ali Bonner of Oat House. Ali, thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, Where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? Yeah, so I grew up in Southern California um, in San Diego. And I would say my upbringing was like very active. Um, Both my parents were super into, you know, running, biking. They actually met at a running club in La Jolla. Um, So my whole just childhood was very filled with lots of that sports. I grew up playing volleyball, um, and never thought of myself actually as an entrepreneur. I was, um, pre-med in Mm. college. So very different from what I'm doing today. Uh, I think I was, you know, just very terrified of, um, instability, which is also ironic. So I was like, Oh, I'll just become a doctor. And that's very stable and predictable. Um, and then sort of realized about halfway through being pre-med that I hated blood I hated sick people and I hated hospitals. (laughs) I don't Mm. know why I wanted to pursue that field. Um, Maybe because my mom was in the medical field, but yeah. And so then I kind of just had to finish out, you know, that, um, that major because I was like so far deep in it. Um, I ended up going into tech in San Francisco, which is sort of the classic uh, pipeline. Yeah. Uh, I went to college undergrad at UC Berkeley. Um, and then, you know, loved my time there, but again, just sort of felt a little unfulfilled by working in tech. I think it was really cushy and nice. Um, but really wanted more. And that's sort of what led me to Mm. doing my thing. Amazing. Uh, growing up, just kind of flashing back a little bit, would you say that you had an entrepreneurial mindset, say, uh, with your family, uh, they encouraged lemonade stands or products, anything like that? You know, I don't know. I think actually not really. I think I always had um, like really, I you know, kind of ideas and I was always thinking of um, different ways to sort of improve my day-to-day life, but I never considered myself um, entrepreneurial from an early age, just in the traditional sense. My mom was a dentist. My dad was a fifth grade school teacher. So just sort of I mean, I guess my mom started her own practice, so that was, you know, entrepreneurial in that way. Um, Wasn't really modeled to me in, yeah, like the traditional way, I think, as I mentioned, like doing more of the kind of conventional route was was really much more what was taught to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But looking back, yeah, I think there's little things like, I just remember, you know, taking a shower and thinking, that's so weird, like why isn't there, you know, why wouldn't we have uh, a little screen that we can set the water temperature to, you know, instead of mm. using knobs, um, yeah. just like things like that, where I always remember thinking of little improvements, but I never again thought of myself as an entrepreneur because um, I wasn't very numbers oriented. Um, yeah. And I wasn't, you know, in love with like spreadsheets and, <laughs> and totally. uh, finance. And I, I wasn't also very money um, driven by money. And I still, am not. Obviously, it's important with any business, but I think yeah. my um, understanding of what it means to be an entrepreneur has definitely expanded since sure. then. Amazing. 
Well, going into uh, UC Berkeley then, finishing this degree, I'm curious, what, what kind of were like your aspirations at this point? Um, not really fully into nutrition yet. Um, did you go to any, did you work any jobs? Or I understand that you eventually studied nutrition. What did that period look like? Yeah, so college was a really interesting time for me. Uh, again, you know, everything happens for a reason, but I think looking back, I was just so creative my whole life. Um, very much, you know, just I excelled kind of naturally at more the marketing creative side of things, branding. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, just I think stubbornness and ego and um, fear <laughs> kind of led me to just, you know, stay in my science degree lane. And um, I really struggled in college. I think, uh, you know, obviously Berkeley is a really competitive school, but it was just, I think at some point, you know, you have to realize that you're just swimming upstream and you're doing something that isn't actually, you know, in line with your natural abilities. And so I remember so clearly just, you know, looking around at my classmates and all of these like science classes. And I had like three tutors for physics and, you know, Mm. growing up school came pretty, not easily to me because I did work really hard, but, um, I don't know. I was just used to, putting in the work and then getting good grades. And I think it was the first time in my life where, you know, I was really putting in a lot of work and asking for help, you know, with tutors and just not performing. And that's, I think, really discouraging for, for people. Um, And so I think looking back, I, I probably should have pivoted and said, you know, Hey, maybe this isn't the right path for me, Uh, but just continued on. So I think that was sort of a challenging time. And, um, you know, yes, I was pre-med, but my major was nutrition. Um, but being, you know, Berkeley, it was just very science focused. I think they actually changed the name to metabolic biology since then, because it really was, you know, I thought it was going to be a lot more like nutrition focused, but it was kind of just human (laughs) metabolism. Um, and so, yeah. And so I ended up working in tech, um, for a health tech company and was on the marketing team. And that was really the first time that I realized, okay, this is something that I love and I'm good at, um, and it kind of lights me up. So that was, yeah, that was sort of my first foray into the world of business and marketing. Um, didn't use my nutrition degree at all. Didn't use, you know, my science degree at all, but, um, (laughs) I still felt like it was somewhat related kind of being like health tech. Um, but during this whole time, which I haven't mentioned was, um, I struggled really severely with multiple eating disorders. Mm. Um, what led to the, you know, genesis of our company. Um, but yeah, and I think that was really an easy way for me to disguise that was being a nutrition student all through college because it really hit its, you know, peak during college, but I could always say, Oh, I'm just like the healthy one. You know, I'm a nutrition student. Um, and people didn't really, I guess, notice because they thought that as well. So, Mm. um, yeah, that was sort of one piece of the story as well. Wow. So, I'm curious as uh, this fascination with nut butter spread specifically evolved and you're working at a tech startup. Did you ever leave? Did you ever go into CPG or what does this transition in your life look like when you're founding your own company from a tech startup or from a te- from the tech side? Did you go to any companies after that or what did that, what did that look like? Yeah, I know. It's such a random uh, transition. No, actually, I went straight. Um, so the company I worked at before is called Doximity. Mm-hmm. Um, they've since IPO'd. They're sort of like the LinkedIn for healthcare professionals. Yeah. Really awesome company to work for. I actually loved my time there. I worked there for about almost four years. Um, and no, I just, I was working 
at Doximity and started sort of on the side, just documenting my recovery journey mm. on Instagram, uh, as any millennial, you know, would. And, um, and actually told my audience on Instagram about my eating disorder before even telling my friends and family because it just felt easier in a way. It was sort of like this black abyss, you know, versus actually telling people who knew me in my real life. Um, so that sort of became almost like an online diary for me to just share my journey. And that's how I started to amass a little bit of a following on there. Yeah. Um, but never thought of social media or Instagram as you know, a way that I could become like, that could be my career. I, I don't yeah. think being a content creator, this was about 2016, 2017. And so it really wasn't, I was like, oh, maybe I'll get some free, you know, Siete chips out of it. But like, I was never thinking I could actually monetize um, yeah. in the way that people do now. So um, yeah, there wasn't anything in between Doximity and, and Oathouse. Um, but I did, you know, really kind of where granola butter came from was, a big part of my recovery journey was actually mm. adding my fear foods back into my diet. So I was terrified for a long time of peanut butter and almond butter and mm. sort of the calorie dense spread. Um, and so as I started to add those back in, I had a really hard time digesting nuts. Mm. And so, you know, I had never had nut allergies. Um, but my nutritionist at the time was like, Oh, you should try, you know, sunflower seed butter, soy nut butter. And I was like, okay, I've never had to try these because obviously I don't have allergies. Yeah. And I tried them and I was like, these are so bad. Like I, I was just blown away that, you know, basically they were the only option um, mm. on the market nut free. So that's sort of when I started, you know, getting into this like mad scientist headspace. And again, I think tying it back to kind of your question earlier about, you know, being an entrepreneur from an early age, I think yeah. it was just, so natural to me to be like, okay, this doesn't exist. You know, something doesn't exist that fits my needs. I'm just going to create it. Yeah. Um, and so I was in my kitchen in San Francisco and just playing around with like different ingredients. And it was, again, the time when oat milk was sort of on the rise, you know, yeah. with oat and everything. It was, yeah, about 2017. So I was like, oh, interesting. Like if they could make a milk out of oats, we could, I can make a spread out of oats. And that's sort of where the idea came from. Mm. Um, but for, you know, about a full year, I worked on, you know, Oat House just nights and weekends. So I still kept my day job with tech. Um, I was pretty risk averse and didn't want to just like, you know, work for myself from the get go. So worked on it for about a year um, until we got into Whole Foods and then um, press juicery and kind of realized it was about that point where I just couldn't do both. Yeah. Uh, you know, either one well. So then I left my full time job. Wow. I'm curious, like in this year span, what did that look like from your POV? Were you packaging, mixing, formulating yourself every weekend, shipping that out? What did that look like? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was such a shit show. Um, <laughs> so, so I am not the only founder. So my partner, Eric, we've been together for a long time, mm -hmm. almost eight or nine years. We went to college together. Um, so he was actually working at Accenture at the time and consulting. Um, and he was, you know, liking his job, but he was traveling a lot back and forth from SF to New York. And, um, oh, he was like the classic, like, you know, he was going to become an entrepreneur, like just who you think of as an entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah. Um, when I told him about this idea, he was the one that was kind of like, oh my gosh, we have to do this. Where I was like, I don't know, it's a cool idea, but I selfishly was like, oh, I'm just making this for myself. And yeah. I was content with just my tech job. So 
he, I give him credit for kind of like pushing me out of the nest to explore something like this. Um, so him and I started working on early, you know, MVPs. And then we actually had a trip to Paris planned just like vacation. Mm -hmm. And um, it was right around the same time we were thinking like, you know, who can help us sort of scale this recipe? Who can help us, you know, perfect it? Because we both love food, but we're not um, culinary <laughs> chefs. Yeah. And uh, he had this friend who he went to summer camp with in LA growing up. Um, his name's Ari. And he was actually working in Paris at the time, helping to open a restaurant. And he's worked at Michelin star restaurants. He's a very talented chef. Um, and so it was just very serendipitous. Like we were already out there. We kind of, you know, met up with him for drinks, pitched him on the idea. And he was really burned out from the fine dining industry. Um, I don't know if you know anything about it, but obviously yeah. it's really like grueling, totally. um, industry to work in. And so he was like super dead from that and looking for something new. So we actually brought him on as our third co-founder. Um, and yeah, that was again, t September, 2017. Um, and so from then for, you know, that whole year was really tough because Eric and I were living in San Francisco. Ari had moved back to San Diego, which is where he's also from. Mm. And he started working from September to March, which is when of 2018, which was when we launched pre-orders. He was just perfecting the recipe. Um, Eric and I were flying down almost every weekend to San Diego to help him, you know, work on things. And then once we launched pre-orders, that's when we really had to start making the product. Mm. So early days, sales are super volatile, as you know. Yeah. Um, and so we didn't want to invest in, you know, a facility or anything like that. So we ended up just renting, you know, space in this commissary kitchen uh, in San Diego and just it was pay by the hour. Yeah. Um, and it was just, you know, the early days were so funny because it was like Eric and I were still working full time. We would fly down every weekend and help Ari all weekend just make product. And we were still making our product in Vitamix blenders. <laughs> um, and it was just like so manual, you know, yeah. we're pouring stuff into jars and we're working. I mean, we were so tired. We were working, you know, all through the night pretty much. Um, and then from there just started, you know, slowly growing. Um, but we really, Eric, Ari and I made the first hundred thousand jars ourselves wow. before we hired our first employee. Um, a lot of that was in Vitamix blenders. <laughs> so, um, yeah, finally reached the point where the commissary kitchen owners were like, you guys have to leave, like you're taking over everything. Mm. Um, because there just wasn't enough storage for our ingredients and, and stuff there because it was, yeah, it was a small space. So we we're like busting at the seams. Yeah. So we got kicked out of the commissary kitchen and then figured, okay, Number one, we should go full time with this. Number two, we need to find a bigger space. Mm. Uh, so that's when we moved into our bigger space in San Diego. Wow. So at this point, is this where you step off uh, your tech job? And are you guys fully D to C up until this point? I understand you have retail now. Uh, what did that look, look like? Yeah. So we, yes, good question. We started D to C um, because of my Instagram following. So when we launched pre orders, I think I had about just like 10,000 followers or something. So nothing crazy, but it was just like a nice test market just to see product market fit totally. um, in a cheap way because we were bootstrapped for the first two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and we, you know, we didn't know anything about retail. We didn't know anything about the food industry, keep in mind, yeah. um, or CG at least. And so um, we were like, okay, well, we know tech, so, and D2C seems, you know, the most similar. Um, yeah. So that's why we started there. And I love social media. I love building a community on there. So that also was, you know, my background. For sure. um, and so, yeah, we ended up approaching Whole Foods. There was 
really in the beginning, I'm going to be honest with you, there was no uh, rhyme or reason. There was no strategy. We were like, let's just approach Whole Foods. Like that seems like a good account. Um, <laughs> didn't have any employees. Like this was all, you know, basically me doing all of our sales. So wow. because I didn't know the food industry, we didn't work with brokers, distributors, anything like that. So I was on LinkedIn and I remember searching like, you know, Southern California Whole Foods buyer. And I ended up finding our buyer actually. And of course, LinkedIn didn't give her email. So I'm like just playing around with, you know, first initial dot last name at wholefoods.com, different combinations of that first name dot last name yeah. until I didn't get a bounce back. Um, finally didn't get a bounce back, you know, didn't get a response for months. I'm like, okay, this is probably just the wrong email. Then I get a response and she's like, oh, I'd love to try samples, send samples. Again, no response for a few months. I'm like, they hated it. Um, then we were actually on our way to our first Expo West. We were exhibiting first trade show. This yeah. was, I guess, March, 2019. And they said, we got the email in the Uber. They were like, we want to bring you in to 50 stores. And we were freaking out. We were like, oh my gosh, you know, and now 50 stores is like so small, but yeah. um, time it was just such a big deal. And um, and so, yeah, we launched with them June of 2019. Um, but still at this point, retail was so, so small for us. And yeah. I'm going to be honest, you know, we had no idea what we were doing in retail. And I think um, if anyone's listening, that's just starting out, obviously, like retail is so amazing and can be obviously so make or break, but it's expensive and it's such a long game. Mm. Um, and it's very time and work intensive. So, and capital intensive. And so for us, we were like, Oh, we'll just be on the shelves. And like, you know, people are going to see granola butter and we're just going to fly off the shelves because it's an interesting product, which as you know, is not the case. Yeah. Um, so we did okay. Like I would say, you know, they expanded us to, to four more regions, um, added another skew. So we were doing well enough that they wanted to expand us, but we weren't turning top of the category by any means for the first few years. Yeah. And then brought on our VP of sales, rebranded, um, and now we've been crushing it in retail, but it really took a few years to kind of find our groove. So that wow. was like a big learning for us in, in retail. For sure. Uh, as the brand evolves so rapidly, I'm curious, how has your marketing strategies changed, starting with like just organic reach at the early days? Um, did anything change, especially going into retail, that you noticed you had to amp up? Yeah, so our marketing strategy has always been really community first, mm -hmm. community forward, um, especially social forward as well. Um, and I think, you know, with retail, that actually really helps is having a strong online community because, yeah. you know, anytime we like we launched into Sprouts nationwide in May um, and they already told us we're, you know, the number four SKU in the store. And, um, you know, that's just because our and that's behind private label behind, you know, some of the top spreads uh, mm -hmm. brands that you and I both know. Um, and that's, you know, that was really shocking to me because we're not doing any demos there. We barely started, you know, just doing marketing with Sprouts. And I think what it really, you know, was, was from is actually our community being so loyal. Mm. Um, we did a big influencer push with Sprouts. So we sent out, you know, these PR boxes that had, um, we actually did like a custom label that was like Oat House and Sprouts. And then we sent these empty jars with soil in them and like little, like gardening, little seeds. And yeah. we said like sprouting into retail, whatever. It was like kind of cheesy, but, um, and we sent it to a bunch of influencers. And so I think doing that digital um, push, you know, to, to in-person actually has been really beneficial for us because, you know, 
we're still pretty bootstrapped. We've raised about 600K to date in total, okay. um, which is not a lot compared to a lot of food companies yeah. uh, of our size. So um, everything we do is super, super lean. But um, yeah, I think in terms of things that have changed, um, you know, really with retail, obviously there's certain things like demos and IRCs and um, things that do move the needle, um, you know, from that regard, but it's always going to be digital first and always going to be yeah. community first. Um, we also have a close friend story on Instagram where we add all of our subscribers. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, our website subscribers. And that's been really fun because they're so engaged. Mm. And so we will let them know, you know, um, any news or any flavors, we kind of include them in that before we announce it publicly. So they feel very a part of the journey. For sure. Um, yeah, from that perspective. Amazing. Uh, with that marketing, what have you found to be like your main demographic, would you say, especially for just uh, disrupting this category? Yeah, I think we actually fall into about three different buckets, um, which has been kind of challenging from a marketing perspective because, you yeah. know, obviously you appeal to everyone, you appeal to no one. Um, but it's really number one, people who are, you know, nut butter consumers, so they don't have allergies, they eat peanut butter and almond butter and love it, mm -hmm. but they're just kind of sick of those same old choices. Because um, you think about the spreads category, it's pretty antiquated compared to, you know, a lot of other categories that have seen so much innovation. Yeah. Um, the past few years, it's like, okay, maybe there's some mixed nut butters that that's pretty much the only innovation. It's like peanut butter and almond butter are the main ones. Yeah. Um, so I think people are just kind of bored <laughs> to be honest with you. And so that is our biggest consumer where it's like, you know, they still eat peanut butter and almond butter, but they really are looking for that novelty, that innovation. Um, and then obviously the taste profile is super exciting to them because mm. it's more of a mix of like a sweet spread and a nut butter. Um, that's probably the biggest one. It's like the health conscious millennial. Yeah. And then right behind that is actually parents of kids in nut free schools. Mm. So actually not kids who have allergies, but it's much bigger than that because a lot of the schools now are nut free mm. um just because allergies are on the rise especially younger yeah. ages because kids you know obviously want to share and they they don't know um yeah. so the schools will just say okay don't pack your kids peanut butter and jelly sandwiches so then parents you know that was actually a market i had no idea about because i don't have kids yeah. um until after we launched and all these parents were coming out of the woodwork being like yo, my kid won't eat sun butter, which is usually what people pack. Um, and they need, you know, I've been packing them like cheese sandwiches. Like I got crazy messages from parents. And so they were like, we need this. Wow. Um, it was really cool. And obviously parents, you know, have a lot higher kind of purchasing power than younger demographics. Um, and then the last one, which is probably the smallest one is people who are looking for that Nutella cookie butter taste profile, but they want something that makes them feel good too. Um, so kind of like a better for you, uh, dessert sweet spread. Amazing. Well, with uh, flavor expansion to today, I'm curious, what would you say is the top seller out of your lineup? Yeah. So we, um, obviously started with more of like our everyday line, which is, you know, original vanilla chocolate. And those I think kind of lends better to putting with things. So on toast, on fruit, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but what we've learned, which, you know, again, through having a very engaged um, community is people want that indulgent flavor. So our mm. customer 
yes, they are, you know, looking for that better for you product, but more than that, they just want something that tastes really amazing. Sure. Um, so we actually kind of started launching more indulgent flavors. So cookie dough, birthday cake, brownie batter. Um, we have a really exciting, another indulgent flavor coming in two weeks. Um, and those I think just have blown everything else out of mm. the water. Um, and what also is cool about those is people tend to eat them out of the jar, like a cookie dough, you know, yeah. product. Um, so it's more like a snacking occasion, which has really boosted, you know, velocity in retail and obviously kind of repeat purchase rates because yep. instead of, you know, like a peanut butter, I guess some people eat peanut butter out of the jar, but, um, this really resembles more like, you know, a sweet spread. Uh, and just something you can kind of go to town on. So we get lots of people that are like, oh my gosh, I crushed this in like 48 hours, you know, <laughs> or I killed this jar in 24 hours. Yeah. And so that is really rare in our category because normally, you know, you go to this grocery store and you buy peanut butter every like three weeks or something. Yeah. Um, so that's something that's been also exciting from a business perspective of just how quickly people are going through our products with those flavors. Amazing. Well, I'd like to conclude each episode with this. Uh, if you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret uh, along the way, what would you say that would be? Yeah, um, I'm a big proponent of mental health with entrepreneurship. So, and obviously in honor of Mental Health Day was I think two days ago. Yeah. Um, that has been something that has just really tested me throughout this journey. Um, and I'm lucky enough that my partner is my co-founder. So we're obviously sort of going through this together, mm -hmm. but I actually see two different therapists. Um, so regular talk therapy and then also somatic therapy, which is like a body based, um, therapy, which has been really cool. And I see those, you know, every alternating weeks. So I end up seeing someone weekly. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just been so crucial. And I, I wish that I had started right when we started the business or even before, um, because it's just so trying, you know, and um, obviously if you're not even an entrepreneur, like therapy is really helpful for anyone. Mm -hmm. But I think especially with entrepreneurship, there's just something about it that um, I've actually felt a lot of isolation and loneliness from being an entrepreneur, especially the bigger that we've gotten yeah. weirdly. Um, and none of my friends really are entrepreneurs. So that maybe could be why, but just feeling like, um, yeah, no one really understands sort of what I'm going through. Even other founders, you know, every business is so different. So yeah. it's like, I have so many founder friends and I am grateful for that. And that does help. But, um, having a therapist or someone you can talk to and just kind of like vent about what you're going through is super helpful because even, you know, Eric, my partner i don't want to vent to him about some things like maybe i want to vent about him yeah <laughs> so I don't, like tell, you know so it's like helpful to have that third for party sure. yeah <laughs> well <laughs> ali thank you so much for joining me today and to the listeners out there make sure to check out oat house at oat.house hey thank you for listening to this episode of starting small if you would leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on also follow starting small pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests